There are times in our relationship to him that we just have to come back and, and recommit and rededicate ourselves. Uh, I really spoke about that last week. There are just moments where we as believers have to stop and say, God, we know that we walked away. God, in our actions and in our words, we have removed ourselves from you. Now listen, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, I do not believe you can find yourself outside of salvation. Once you accept him as your Lord and Savior, he's got a hold on you that will never let go. I believe that. But what can happen is that you and I can try to walk away. Now, we're still his children. We're still his children. He never renounces us. But yet, he wants us to come back. Just as the prodigal walks away, he wants the prodigal to return. He wants us to come back. And really, in the book of Malachi, just as I mentioned last week, you have this prophet, the spokesman of the covenant, the guy who comes and says, hey, God has made this everlasting relationship with you, and he wants you to come back. He wants you to enjoy that relationship. The prophet comes, and he says, you have walked far away from him. He's already cited some of the symptoms of the heart problem. He's already talked about how they give leftovers to him. He, he's already cited how they grow weary in their service to him. Also in other passages, and I wish I could just flesh it out, just work all the way through it uh, for you in the next few weeks, but we'll come back to it one day. You'll see where there are these strained, severed relationships that he calls out over and over again. There are issues that point to a relationship that is going cold toward God. And here, once again, the prophet, the spokesman of God, calls out to the people and he says, return. God says, return. Return to me. The people look at one another and they say, what are you talking about? God, how do you want us to return to you? You know, it's as though sometimes we walk so far away from God, we have forgotten the path to get back to Him. But let me say to you this morning, if you're on that path, if you've walked away in some sense with your heart and your life, I want you to know that He can speak to you and He can show you the right path because He is standing in the same place where you left Him. He's never moved. He is there loving. He is there calling back, saying, return to me. Here, Malachi the prophet cites one way in which they could return. One way in which they could demonstrate this relationship with God. Beginning in verse 8. We've just heard the call to return to God. This is what he says. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Stop just right there. Here he comes to the nation of Israel. He comes to his people and he says... Will a man rob God? Now, that very question seems preposterous. I mean, any of us here this morning, if you were to be asked that question, will, will you rob God? You would very quickly say, no, there is no way. I mean, most of us would do that. I mean, that sounds, 
That sounds so preposterous that we would come to the point of taking something from God. And yet again, when you read through this passage and you hear how the people of Israel have this heart problem, this cold relationship with God, he cites how they have kept things from him. And notice again in verse 9, this is the whole nation involved. The whole nation All of God's people seem to have been part of this conspiracy. He cites specifically how they had kept back tithes and offerings. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about the tithe and the offerings. Now, some of you just checked out. No, you didn't walk out, but you mentally checked out on me. Somebody texted me this week and said, we were going to have some visitors here this Sunday. I said, oh, great. The Sunday I'm preaching on tithing, they think all I talk about is giving. You know, I don't really apologize for this message because I'm going to tell you, Jesus said a whole lot about how we relate to our material possessions. He said a whole lot about it. I mean, to be honest with you, if you look at the way we handle our material possessions, it will often indicate how hot or cold we are in our relationship to God. It really does. This is what he says here. Later on in the New Testament, we're going to look at that in a few moments. It demonstrates really our very heart toward God. So here he talks about the tithes and the offerings. A tithe is what? A tithe technically is the tenth or the tenth part. You'll remember in the book of Leviticus, this is what the tithe was to do or really how it was to be brought. It said, in all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So in the book of Leviticus, the tithe was to be set apart as something that was different. It was holy. It was given unto the Lord. And it didn't matter really what kind of increase. You'll notice it said the tithe of the land, whether it be the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, all of that is the Lord's. And in some way, it seemed to also be connected with the way the writer of the Proverbs described it. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Basically what the people would do, as you can tell here, is that they would bring their tithe. Now this is very simplistic, but they would bring their tithe into the treasury, into the storehouse. Specific areas in the temple that would be set aside so that the people could bring their gifts. Again, this is very specific, but let, or let me just say to you, it's, it's very simplistic, rather, But let me give you the idea of the way the tithe was used. The annual tithe was given to the Levites. Remember the Levites? They didn't really get a certain part of the land. Remember when they're going through the tribes? Oh, yeah, but Levi, his tribe, was basically left out of the possession. They had cities. They had these things. Yes, but basically what they were to do was to be the ministers or the servants They're in Israel. And God would provide for them. God would take care of them. And certainly the annual tithe was given to the Levites, who in turn, in a sense, gave also to the priests to make sure that they were taken care of. Kind of like the way you take care of me. Yeah, somebody said it out loud. It's kind of like the lemon icebox pies you bring. Oh, how blessed you are. But they were taking care of those individuals that were going about ministry. Also, 
The tithe is, could be used in worship itself. If you read, if you, you go back and again read uh, the practice of the tithe, the family could come and basically the family could share a meal if they wanted to with the Levites and they could take it out of their tithe, the meal that they would have in worship. I, I, I love that part of it. I was talking to Dr. Turner this week, a good friend of mine. I think his uh, really comprehension of the Hebrew is so much better than mine. And I get to talk to him and ask him what he thinks about certain things and how, the, how it's kind of constructed. And we were talking this week about the tithe and how they were able to eat it together. In a sense, when they partook of it, they were worshiping. It goes back to what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Basically, what they were doing is giving themselves as well in that worship moment even in their bringing of the tithe, that they were giving of themselves to God. So here they are giving of themselves. God wanted this relationship with them. Also, every third year, the tithe was given to local leadership to be able to help the Gentiles who were living among them, the fatherless, the widows, the poor. Now think of that. It was for benevolence, to help individuals, but also especially for the foreigners, which again, that was benevolence, but think of the testimony the people had as they gave to help the Gentiles among them. You might want to even say it was kind of a form of missionary giving to help establish the name of the Lord in these individuals' lives. Again, very simplistic definition or... I guess you would say a very simplistic summary of how the tithe was used, but most part for ministry, for helping the poor, for establishing his name. The, and then there were so many other offerings. Notice here it says the tithes and the offerings. There are offerings for the priests, for the poor, for the sick, for the elderly, they're all kind. Larry Burkett. Any of you ever remember hearing Larry Burkett? He was a financial. I, I love listening to him on the radio. I love reading his books. Larry Burkett calculated what he called the regular gifts that were given each year to God's ministry. You want the number? Let me say, uh-oh. When, when you compute the tithe and the regular offerings, when you put both of them together... He said basically each family would give like 23% of their income. Some of you again just said, this is not the church for me. I will go where they just at least talk about 10%. 23%, that stuff, whew. I just want to bring that to your attention because it's much more even than what we think of the tithe. of people just giving the 10 People were supporting what God was doing. Well... Except in this case, they were supposed to be supporting the ministry. They were supposed to be supporting the poor. They were supposed to be taking care of individuals. But rather, it says that they had robbed God. They had kept those things back. And what language to use that you could rob God? I remember my first pastor at Canaan Baptist Church. It was a great church. I, I was in college. Um, very small church. We could probably fit here on this platform. Seriously, there were about 40 of us maybe that show up, showed up each Sunday. If we had 50, we had a hallelujah day. Homecoming, we might break 55. 
mostly senior adults, but oh, it was a good church to start with. Folks loved me and I loved them. I remember one Wednesday night I was doing the Bible study. I was sitting on the front row and uh, just kind of propped up on the row. And one of the older ladies looked at me and Miss Doris, she said, you know, Brother Reggie, she said, usually our pastors are like our children, but you're more like our grandchild. <laughs> I looked at Miss Doris and I said, I know, Miss Doris, but let me just remind you, you always treat your grandchildren better than you do your children, and you better treat me better than what you have these last preachers that have come through here. So, And I promise you they did. I got a call one Monday morning. I, at that point, I was actually still living with my parents and not even gotten married yet. So got a call Monday morning. They said, Brother Reggie, you need to come to church. We got a problem with our... Family Life Center. Now, right before the former pastor had left, he had decided to lead the people to build a Family Life Center, which, which was good. They wanted to try to reach youth and younger adults and all of this, and, and I don't doubt his vision whatsoever. I just know we came in, and the, uh, well, the foundation had been poured, and the walls had started going up, and basically, we had to try to finish it. And it was tough. Because I'm going to tell you, we didn't have much finances. Again, we were thankful each week. Every now and then we might get $600. But if we broke four or 500 each Sunday, we were okay. And that was the overall offering. It was tough for us. But we decided we were going to get this thing built. We were going to finish it out. We had debt. We had other things going on. We went out. We, we worked on it. Leslie, you remember after she and I got married, moved into the pastorium, I was right there. And listen, I tell people, Jerry, that's what I was telling you the other day. I'm non-skilled labor. So that means I get the grunt work, all right? I was a little younger. Mr. Joe Hogan would come by my house every morning real, real, real early, like 7 a.m. in the morning, real early, <laughs> beat on my door in the summer. All right, after I'd gotten out of school, I was still in college. I was out of school, but every morning out during the summer, Joe would come, and he always called me Brother Reggie. <laughs> and he said, Brother Reggie, you ready? And I would wipe the sleep out of my eyes. I really just pretty much slept in what I was going to wear the next morning so I could just roll out of the bed and get out there. And I'd say, yeah, Mr. Joe, let's go. And he would say, I need you to move this, and I need you to move that. I need you to paint this, and I need you to paint that. I'm like, I don't know how to paint. Just take the brush and just put the paint on. And, and he, Mr. Joe was, again, he was in his 80s or so, was a retired carpenter and just knew everything. When he left at lunch, he always would finish up at lunch. He would look at me and he would say, uh, all right, now I want this painted blue and I want this painted this and I want that painted. And yeah, I don't know how pink got into it, but paint that pink over there before I get back tomorrow morning. So we would. Leslie would come out a lot of times. We would do things. We would stain. Listen, the people of the church, we did everything we could. We were, we were trying to get it finished. We were, we, were, we were giving. We were doing everything we could. And that Monday morning when I got that call saying there was an issue in the Family Life Center, I went to the Family Life Center, and I noticed when I got there the police. Somebody had broken in and stolen 
all of our tools, stolen so much of our supplies, whatever they could take, they had stolen. Do you know how mad I was? Do, do you know how incensed I was? I knew that we couldn't afford these things. I knew that we had been working. I knew that our people had been given. I knew that we had, through even our physical weakness, we had given our best. And these people, I could just hear, I'm telling you, I could hear it. I could hear the speech. These people have stolen from God himself. Never forget that. And I thought if I could just get my hands on them. In the name of Christ, I would strangle the Noah. But I tell you, I was mad. It was sometime later, sometime later, that God really got a hold of me and said, you know what? Reggie, that anger that you've had toward these individuals. Well, that's anger that, it, that should also be directed maybe to you. When you haven't given your best, as I've talked about last week. When you haven't given what I ask you to do. Now, I'm not saying I had tied, I tried to, but there are other areas. Hey, they were missing the free will offering issues. Wasn't just about the tithe. Is the free will offering of helping poor, the poor and others? How about those moments, Reggie? Are you as angry about that? Because you know what? When a man keeps back, when a woman keeps back that which they are supposed to give, in a sense, they are robbing from me. I know some of you say, "Hold on, just a minute now." You're in the Old Testament. Don't forget about this. Tithe, offer, those things, Old Testament principles. It's the old covenant. I'm under grace. Thank God I'm free. you absolutely under grace. You're absolutely free. I could try to make arguments today about how the tithe may predate the Mosaic Law. If you look at the way Abram gave to Melchizedek. I could talk about Jesus coming to fulfill the law, not destroy, those kinds of things. I could talk about how Randy Alcorn has correctly said the tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. I could talk about all those things, but I'd rather I just rather I just point you to the New Testament. And really the examples that are given there. I, I, I'm not here to try to debate the tithe this morning. I just want you to hear the heart of giving. As you see in the New Testament. New Testament filled with examples of those individuals who just give beyond the tithe. I, I don't see them necessarily debating the tithe. I think they practice, everyone that we see really practice, but they went above and beyond. For example, after a, different, a difficult day of confrontation, Jesus came to the court of women and he noticed this example, Mark chapter 12. It says, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. 
So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. But in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So here's Jesus in the court of women. He's watching the people come through and give. There are 13 basic receptacles, trumpet-shaped receptacles in the court of women. People pass by and they're putting in their gifts. He's seeing that. Also, I'm convinced as I've done my study, they could hear the giving. I think also that is one of the reasons Jesus cautioned the Pharisees in particular about the way they went about publicly giving. Let me illustrate it for you this morning. I brought, which one of you, is this one of your savings accounts here, kids? I don't know. We raided somebody's. I don't know. Hopefully get it back. I don't know. But think about this. The people were going through, those who had a lot, it would come through. Wow, did you hear that guy? He just get, Did you hear what he just gave? That's awesome money. He gave some money. He gave a lot of money. He gave a lot. And oh, how they must have held their heads high when they gave so much. And how the people must have looked around like, man, that's a giver there. And then the widow comes through, says she's poor. The word that she used there also means that she's a working poor. She comes through and two mites. People don't necessarily know what she does. Some of them may, but not very impressive after you've heard all this given already into the treasury. But there's one person that takes note. And that's Jesus. Jesus always takes note, by the way. You notice whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, God knows what we're doing and what we're giving. Jesus calls the disciples and he says, Hey, I know you're, you're probably impressed by what you've heard and all those people going through and giving and all that kind of stuff. You, you're easily impressed. All of us are. We're... Jesus said, Hey, you know that widow just went through? She gave so much more than others because others were giving out of their abundance. I love this. She gave out of her poverty. Isn't that a statement? How that is convicting to me. And when I look at the New Testament examples, when I look at Acts chapter 2, when I look at Acts chapter 4 and other, I mean, you just see them freely giving. I, 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 was, I was thinking about this, just writing down, just working through this. I said, you know, here we are who are wealthy, and most all of us in this place, by the worldly standards, okay, if you were to take the world around, we are a wealthy group of people. And yet here we are wealthy, we argue whether or not we should tithe. Oh, that's Old Testament, that's New Testament. We, 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 why, the tithe doesn't apply. Friend, in the New Testament, they weren't concerned about this and that, about the covenant. They, they were concerned 
about giving to the ministry of God. They were poor and they looked for reasons to give. So often we are wealthy and we look for reasons not to give. And how that should challenge us, how this example should challenge us. I'm going to tell you to paraphrase Dr. Adrian Rogers, if a Jew gave a tithe under the law, how much more should we give under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Randy Alcorn said it well, and he said, Tithing is not the ceiling of giving, it is the floor. It is not the finish line of giving, it is just the starting blocks. Tithes can be training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. Say, but I can't afford it. May I say to you, you can't afford not to. I can't afford. All of us should give proportionally. I've heard some people say, I make too much. I love the W.A. Criswell story on this. Some of you remember W.A. Criswell, the pastor at First Baptist Dallas for all these years. He said somebody came to him and said, I'm just having trouble tithing. I, I just, I don't make enough and I'm struggling. What can I do? And Dr. Criswell said, you just got to start doing it. And you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to get right here. We're going to pray for God to just work in your life. And so they got at the altar and they prayed that God would just, do a work within him, allow him to be obedient so he could tithe, he could give. He started tithing, he started giving. And before long, now, don't count on this. We're going to talk about the prosperity gospel later, okay? But before long, his salary had increased exponentially. He was making like six figures, doing wonderful. He came to Dr. Criswell and they were going back and forth about giving. And he said, you know what, I just make too much to give now. I mean, do you realize how much this is? If I were to give 10%, Dr. Crystal said, hey, we got this. So Dr. Crystal got with him, and they got in the altar again. Dr. Crystal said, I pray for my brother that you would give him wisdom, that you'd give him strength, that you'd give him a heart of commitment. I pray that you would reduce his salary back to the point where he would be faithful to give to you. Of course, the guy stopped him like, What? What are you praying? He said, look, I would rather for you to be obedient any day than for you to be wealthy. So if it requires that, we'll pray that God would just reduce your salary. The New Testament teaches that they systematically gave on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, really storing up as he may prosper. It was always proportionate, even in the New Testament, as God blesses you. Will you give out of your increase? 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Let me give you this as we close. Really, John Ortberg, I think, captured the heart of the giving, the tithing, and really how we approach him with all of ourselves and really what the idea of the tithe, the offerings, what it would communicate. I want to give it to you. Ortberg said, every time I tithe, I remind myself God's on the throne. Not me and not my money. God. I love that. Because in Deuteronomy, chapter 14, 23, there when he was speaking, Moses was speaking about the tithe, he said, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds, and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord God always.
So it was just a moment of coming for him saying, hey, God, I'm giving this because I know you're on the throne. You're God. This is a moment for me to express my awe and worship of you. Ortberg said, every time I tithe, I reinforce that all I have is from him. So when I give, I just recognize it's all his anyway. Some of us talk about the tithe, the 10%, the 10th. You've already been here the last few weeks. You know I believe God owns 100% of it. And he's concerned not just about the 10% we give. He's concerned about the 90% and how we manage it. Because it's all from God. I tell our deacons all the time, and you've heard me say it, when God has blessed us and when we've seen resources, when we've met Annie Armstrong goals or Lottie Moon goals, whatever else, I always tell them, we shouldn't brag on ourselves. We should brag on God for this. Because you and I could not have given this unless God had given to us first. We must never forget that. We must never take... When we come to him, we say, God, you own it all. Or Burke said, every time I tithe, I make a declaration, I will trust you, God. I'll trust you. Think about that principle of the Old Testament. When they were bringing of their first, what they were saying is, God... We know you've blessed us. We give this for ministry, for work, for what? Because we know you're going to continue to bless us. We give of the first of the flock, of the firstborn and all of that because we know we trust you that you're going to provide everything else we need. Isn't that awesome? When I come to give to God, I give to him out of my first fruits. I give to God and I say, God, this came from you. I know that. I'm giving back. And I know that you have the power and the resources to meet every need, to pay every bill I've got from here out. It's a trust, faith factor. Every time I tithe, Orberg said, especially as I calculate my check, he said, I am reminded of how much I've been given. Again, this is where my friend Dr. Turner helped me some. He said, think about this, Reggie. He said, think about how they would go to Jerusalem and they would take of their flock. They were taking their tithe. Let, let's say they're walking down, a father and his son, and they're taking their sheep and their wheat. And, and he would stop, the father would, and look at the son and say, Hey, son, tell, tell, me, uh, tell me how many sheep we got there. And he would start counting. One, two, three, four, five. There's 17, Daddy. That's right. So, how many sheep did God bless us with this year, this increase? God, what, what did God do for us this year? Well, Daddy, that would be 17 times 10. You, you can see he did Mississippi math, right? He had to write it down on his... 170. Isn't that a great God that gave us that increase? How about, the bu- how about the bushels of wheat? How many you got over there? Well, that's one, two. That's 30 bushels of wheat. So how many, how much did God increase us this year? 300. All of a sudden, you begin thinking about it, right? Praise be to God what he's done. Praise be to God that he is the giver. Do you see this? It was a time to be reminded of what all God had done and how 
he had given. God confronts his people. He confronts them. He speaks to them clearly. He says, hey, the relationship that you have with me, it's off. If you just want to take a gander, just want to take a peek, you, you, can, you can see it's in the way you, in the way you give. Verse 11 and verse 12. Leslie, aren't you proud? I said I was going to cut it off here. Looked at her last night. I said, man, I had so much more to do and say. I told her, you know, I was going to have to cut it off at this great point. Well, one of these days, I'm going to come back around a couple weeks or so from now and talk to you how God blesses, even through a giving. That's, that's the basic principle. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. You know that. I'm going to address that as I mentioned. But just listen. Listen to what he says here as we close. He, he said, again, back in verse 10, try me now in this. Hey, won't you? It's kind of like a, a God dare kind of deal. Hey, won't you try me? Would you, you try me? Because you know what? If, and, and see, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing. And there will not be room enough to receive it. That word that's basically used for this idea of opening is the same word that is used to describe the heavens that opened and brought the rain during the days of Noah. Floodgates that are open. And he says, just watch what I'll do in your life. Just try me. And let me show you that as you give out of your increase, I will work in your life for your increase. I'll continue to bless you. And that's really what verse 11, verse 12 is about. But I love verse 12. This is even going to be another sermon. You're going to say, how many are you going to preach on this? But I love verse 12 in particular. And all nations will call you blessed. Isn't it amazing in the Old Testament, as the people of God gave like they should, that somehow the, God, the, the good news of Yahweh God would get around to the other nations? That even in Malachi, there's a mission, missionary kind of enterprise, missionary tone. God wants to call us to relationship with him. If you haven't believed in him, let me just say to you, you need to trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. But those of us who have, there are times we just need to renew ourselves and rededicate ourselves. And this morning may just be a recommitment in the way we give. I pray you would hear God's message. Instead of looking for excuses, why don't you follow the pattern of the New Testament and look for opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom? of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for being with us. God, how desperately we need you. God, we need you every day. Especially as we look at our finances, we're reminded, Lord, we can't pay our bills or we can't fulfill our obligations. We can't take care of our families. We can't do any of these things unless you are the one that's working in our lives to provide for us the health, 
the mental capacity, the or just the work. And God, I pray that as we give, it would not be out of some legalistic type of expectation, but God, as we give, it's out of a love relationship with you. Open up to us the blessings of heaven itself as we commit to you to give out of a cheerful and joyful heart. We love you. We praise you. This day, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.